dream I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the type of dream that you know it's from God. It's not because you watch Die Hard or some other movie, but you've had God speak to you. Maybe it wasn't an audible voice, but it's just something that's been in your heart, and you know that this thing is from God. God has given you a dream. And maybe it happened a long time ago. And there's a part of you that maybe has even given up on that dream. Or maybe the dream is kind of so big that you think, this, I, there's no way I could do this. There's, there, there, it's just impossible. And so that dream just kind of sits there. Or, or there's the reality of, of your dream where God has spoken and he's told you all these things, but then you, you kind of wake up and you look at your surroundings and you say, but God, look at today. <laughs> look at the now. Look at where you want me to be and look at where I am and look at this gap in between. There's no way that I can get there from here. Um, if I was to ask uh, you guys a question this morning, if I was to talk about, hey, where do you see your life? Where do you see your life in five years from now? Where do you see your life in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? Where do you see your life when you have reached the end of your life? When you're at the very end and you're experiencing your last days on this earth, and you look back, what do you want your life to have looked like? Now, there's all different types of people in this room. And um, I think m- me and my wife, Devin, our kind of take on this question can represent what a lot of people might be feeling when you're asked those types of questions five years, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, your life. Um, and there's two types of response. And I think me and my wife kind of embrace a lot of people's feelings on this. And that's what I would kind of call the checkers and chess approach. See, I'm kind of the chess guy. You ask me those kind of questions, and I could probably give you a pretty good picture of where I want my life to kind of go. Hey, well, in five years, I have this plan, and we're going to do A, B, C, and D. And at the 15-year mark, well, I want to look back, and I want to see this. And, and so I could kind of give you a rough map of where I want my life to head. And, and I've always just kind of had that. I've been the, the planner. I've been the, the Franklin Covey, put it in the journal. I, I got the day mapped out. At noon, we're doing this. At 3.30, you know, we're do, and, and, and next week, this is what's going to happen. And if we do A, B, and C. And so I, that's kind of me. I'm the chess because I'm, I'm thinking kind of long term. Now, Devin, on the other hand, she's kind of more of the checkers. She can't tell you what's going to happen five years from now, ten years from now. But she can tell you what she's going to do tomorrow. She has, she has, hey, today we're going to do this, and, and we're going to have all, uh, this, this is what's going on, and later on we're going to do this. And some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because some of y'all are thinking, oh, I'm more of a chess person. I got it all planned out, and I have all my plans. And some of you more of the checkers person. Well, you know, I, I, I know what we're doing today, but down the road I have no clue. And see, maybe right now you're sitting and you're thinking, oh, well, the, the chess person is obviously kind of better because it's better to, well, I kind of put that thinking to the side for a minute, and, and I want to challenge you with a few things. B, because being the chess person, what I've come to recognize, at least in my life and in the lives of others that often have the big plan, is that we miss the moment. 
See, we know what's going to happen down the road, but we miss right now. And we're not really able to kind of fully embrace what God is doing in our lives at this moment, in this week, in this day. And we're just kind of sometimes living in the future. Now, there's also the checkers person that they can fully embrace the now. Everything is today, but the future, all of a sudden, one day they arrive there and they look, wait, wait a minute, hold on, this isn't where I wanted to be because they didn't have the plan. See, then, and then the chess person, see, sometimes we, we get so focused on a particular goal that we forget what's really important. See, with, with the chess players, man, all, everything I've got to protect my king. You know, and so there's all these pawns and rooks and, and queens, and, and all of them can be sacrificed. We could sacrifice all these pawns for the sake of saving the king. Whereas the chess player knows that each piece holds the potential to be a king. Each piece is, man, if we have to give that up, you know. And, and, and there, there's, there's a balance to this thing. And see, and I think that's why God often puts chess people with checkers people. And, and, and sometimes I frustrate her and she frustrates me because I'm thinking, baby, don't, we got to think about this. And she's thinking, well, can't we just enjoy this? And, and we kind of come together. And though it's completely different, we both need each other. We need the long-term dream. And we need the reality of the now. And we need the, the everything that we're moving towards and everything that is. And when it comes to dreams... I don't know about you, but sometimes God gives us these dreams and he gives us these things. And we read scripture verses like probably one of the most famous ones in Jeremiah 29, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And we hear these things and they get down in us. But then there's something that says, ah, but I'm just not quite sure. Like, I know I believe that, but there's something uh, either either I'm, I'm so long-term focused that right now, God, I, c- I can't see it because of this, or I'm so in the now that I can't see beyond the pain and the hurts and the reality of my present situation. And we hear this, and sometimes it can depress us a little bit because it can go on for not just minutes or hours or days, but years even decades <laughs> of saying, God, how is this dream, how is what you've put in my heart going to ever come to pass? Um, I want to talk this morning from the book of Genesis, starting in uh, chapter 37, a little bit about Joseph. Genesis 37, starting in verse 1. Now, Jacob, this is Jacob that Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. Now, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He'd worked with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhal and Zippah, or something like that. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't even say a kind word to him. Now one night, Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle, it stood up, and all of your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. So soon Joseph had another dream, and again has told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. This time, the sun, the moon, and these 11 stars, they bowed down before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams had meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. Now, the story continues like this. Joseph goes to meet his brothers. They see him coming at a far off, and they say, look, here comes the dreamer. We have a plan. We've got to do something about this guy. So this is the plan that they come up with. We're going to throw him in a pit. Well, first of all, well, let's just kill him. Until one brother says, listen, we can't do that. Well, well, let's just go and we'll throw him in a pit. So they throw him in this pit. And then the Bible says, after doing this, they went. And as they were getting ready to get something to eat, they saw these traitors coming from afar. And to which one brother says, hey, why should we just let them die in this pit? We could sell them and make some money. Now think about this for a second. They've just finished throwing their brother in a pit, and their first reaction is, well, let's go get something to eat. <laughs> Seriously? And, and then they're having this conversation, and well, what are we going to tell our father? Oh, well, we'll take his coat, and we'll dip it in some blood, and then we'll tell our dad that a wild animal got him. And I remember reading this, and I think the only thing that kept going through my brain is that time when you're in school and you didn't do your homework and you go to the teacher and the dog ate it, that's exactly what they're doing. Well, dad, a wild animal got him. I don't know. The dog ate him. You know, so something happened. I mean, that's their excuse as, as if this is going to work. And we're going to throw him in this pit. And then, and then we see the trade. But wait a minute. We could sell him and make some money. So they sell him into slavery. Joseph makes his way into the home of this guy named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar is one of the commanders in the Egyptian army, and Joseph becomes a slave in his household and begins to take care of all of the affairs of his house. Um, Now, things are going good for Joseph in the sense that God is blessing Potiphar's house because of Joseph. It's not long, though, until Potiphar's wife takes an eye to Joseph. Ah, I want this guy. And he keeps refusing her but she snags his coat one day and tells this line on that hey he tried to rape me potiphar gets mad throws him in prison in prison now now think about this for a second he he was 17 years old he's had a dream he goes from the dream to now his brothers hate him now he gets thrown into a pit now he gets sold into slavery 
Now he gets falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. Now in prison, he finds favor with the warden. And so he kind of becomes the man in prison where he's overseeing the prison. So much to the point where it said that the warden had no more worries. He's doing, good, doing all this. These guys begin to have these dreams. He's interpreting people's dreams. Then all of a sudden, the pharaoh of the land has a dream. And he gets word that, hey, this guy Joseph that's in prison can interpret your dream. Joseph goes, interprets the dream of pharaoh. And then pharaoh says, uh, part of the dream is this. The, the land is going to have seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. If I were you, this is what I would do. I would appoint someone to get ready during the years of plenty plenty for the years of famine and he rolls out this plan to pharaoh of exactly how he should do it and to which pharaoh looks at him and says listen is there a man that's anywhere in our midst that's obviously more filled with the spirit than this guy joseph and then he gets put as second in command of all of egypt craziness think about it for a second he has a dream from god hated by his brothers thrown into a pit, lied about, accused of rape, falsely imprisoned, and then made basically vice president. From the time he was 17, now the time that he took this position, he was 30 years old. 13 years he went through it. 13 years he went from I have this dream, guys. But the dream looked like, well, there was a pit and a prison, and there was darkness, and there was pain, and there was hurt, and there was lies, and there was everything but what God had told him it was going to be. Maybe God has given you a dream, but all you could see is the prison. Maybe you're in the midst of being in that pit right now. Few things about the dreams of, of God and when God's giving you something. The first thing is you have to realize that no matter how dark your hour, is that you are in the middle of it, in the middle of the dream right now. You are in the middle of it right now. Your moment, no matter how dark, is not outside of God's control. And He who is faithful with the little, will be given much. If you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. I want to read a couple verses that happens during Joseph's story. And, and don't turn in your Bibles. Just, just hear this for, well, as I read them. He's ju- and in chapter 39, in verse 2, he has, he has just been sold into captivity. And it says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. He's just been sold as a slave, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, later on in verse 21, he had just been lied about. He had just been put into prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. Later on, when he gets in in front of the, the Pharaoh, can anyone else like this man be so obviously filled with the spirit of God? The Lord is with Joseph. In the midst of all of these things that seem so far from the dream at the worst moments of his life. See, you had this dream of, man, I'm going to be the manager. 
But the reality is you got hired as the janitor. Man, we're going to start this company and we're going to do all these things. And you're on the edge of bankruptcy. The dream is this and it's, 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 it's amazing. But the reality is this. And it's kind of depressing if we look at it. We want to take over the world. But God gave you shalot. Um, this week while we were, uh, in, in Hawaii, I got to spend some time with Alan and Lauren and uh, those of you that don't know them, they'll be coming back here in a couple of years. Alan's joined the Navy and, um, he has a year and 10 months left and he'll be joining back. But we just got to talking of some things there and Lauren, his wife told me the story of, you know, she has a real heart for just helping women. And she said, you know, I just have this, this dream of, I want to help these ladies and I, I want to see them. Uh, you know, really be able to have strong marriages and all these things. She just talks about all the things that she wanted to do. And she said, I, I, I had to check myself because I started getting so depressed because all these things weren't happening. And so she said, but then God spoke to me and he showed me that he put these two girls in my life. Now I'm supposed to be pouring into them. And so if I'm faithful with these two, so how, how, how can I do all of this? And how can I help all these hundreds of women? But God's given me two. See, sometimes we have the dream and we have the big picture. And God's saying, well, here's one. Here's two. What are you going to do with that? Because the reality is, if we're not faithful with the one and the two, you'll never be faithful with the hundred or the thousand. And see, we, we have all these excuses and we say, but Lucas, you, you don't understand. If I, if I did these things, you know, then, then, then I would do it. If I got the promotion and uh, then I'd start attending church. No, you wouldn't. Listen, if I was three inches taller, I'd be a professional basketball player. Dude, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If I won the lottery, then I'd tithe and I'd give the church a million bucks. No, you wouldn't. Because you won't give the church 10 bucks. <laughs> How are you going to not give 10 bucks, but you're going to give a million? But, like, that's the things that we tell ourselves. We kind of make the, if this would happen, then I would do this, God. God, if you put, gave me the platform to help all of these women, but God's saying, I gave you two. And Lauren's saying, listen, I realize that I've got to be faithful with what God has given me now. What God has put in front of me right now. And see, the thing with Joseph is, whether it was a prison or wherever God had him, he succeeded. He was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he became the best slave that that guy has ever seen. So much to the point that he was over everything in this guy's house. When he was in prison, he became the best prisoner. So much so that the Bible says the warren had no worries. Because Joseph had it under control. He was a prisoner, falsely imprisoned, accused of rape. This is a man of God. And this was the dream, but this was the reality. But he was faithful with, with where he was at now. And God was with him. And God was with him. So we've got to be able to see this and wherever God has us right now. And it doesn't matter if you're, um, no matter how far away from you, sometimes 
I, I, I think in a, even, even in the business world, where you look at certain companies and, uh, and you look at their profit and losses and margins and all these things of this is where we need to be as a company, but then, and then you get on the phone with customer service and it's just terrible. And you're just like, I hate AT&T, you know, or, or whatever it is, or ATMC or whatever. You know, somebody in here works for ATMC. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, I'll get off of that. But all of these things, and, and then they just kind of treat you like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, oh, yeah yes, sir, please hold, or, or whatever it is. And they don't care about you. And, and they, you know, you're just, oh, that's just a $20 sale. Oh, that's just a $100 sale. That's not going to affect the bottom line. He's just a pawn, and we don't need that pawn. And, and have you ever had that feeling? You have ever, anybody ever treated you like that? where you know that you're just, and they've lost the big picture. Um, I remember I was 14 years old, I want to say, and uh, Michael Lake, he, had, he was actually my introduction to surfing. We had moved down here from Fayetteville, and I became best friends with Michael. And Michael was a surfer, and he said, hey, you know, you want to learn how to surf? And, oh, yeah, you know, I'll give it a shot. And just absolutely fell in love with it, loved surfing, I said, you know, I, well, I've got to go get a surfboard. And so I started going to these surf, surf shops, but, like, nobody would help me. I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to buy a surfboard, and I couldn't get any help from all these surf shops. And I, I finally made my way to this one surf shop in, in Myrtle Beach, and the guy who owned the shop just was awesome. He took the time, and he walked me through it of, hey, this is, this is where you're at, this is what you need, and all these things. See, it wasn't just, I wasn't just another kid to him. And I ended up buying a surfboard from him, and I actually ended up buying the next, like, 10 years worth of surfboards from him because of just how he treated me that one time. See, the fact is I wasn't a $100 sale. The fact is I was, like, probably a $5,000 sale. As a matter of fact, I was probably a $20,000 sale because I told all my friends to buy surfboards from him. And all of my friends and all their buddies and, and everyone began to go to this shop all because of he took the time. And I wasn't just a pawn. There was a bigger picture. And it wasn't just that, oh, we have the dream of all these big things, but God gave you this 14-year-old kid. And see, we've got to be faithful with the little. Um, while I was in Hawaii, uh, you know, like I told you, the waves were just huge this one day. And we, we go out to Pipeline. Pipeline is uh, the most famous wave in all of the world. It's, it's actually the deadliest wave in all of the world. More people die at Pipeline than any other wave spot in the world people combined um, have died at Pipeline. And we're out there, and the waves were, they were huge. They were as tall as this building, and um, it was just cranking. But it was kind of closing out, and there was nobody in the water, which is unheard of because, I mean, this place gets packed with people. And there's actually two guys in the water, and we just ended up sitting there watching them for a while. And ended up talking to the lifeguard and found out that one of them was John John Florence, which is arguably one of the greatest surfers in the world right now. He has beat Kelly Slater in these contests and stuff. He's up and coming. He's, uh, without a doubt, in my mind, I think he's going to be one of the greats. And him and one other guy are out there surfing, and just I I knew that there's no way. It was definitely above my skill level, but just – sitting there and watching them, and the conditions were bad. The wind was howling. Um, uh, the Volcom house was right behind us, and they were videotaping John just in these 
awful conditions. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, nobody else is out here. Nobody wants to go out in these conditions, but he's out there. And I remember thinking, that's why he's going to be the best. That's why he's going to be the best. Because it it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be he's out there doing it. And and he was doing some of these incredible things. And I just thought, you know, he's, he's faithful with the little. He's faithful when, when everybody else is taking a nap, when everyone else is going and partying or whatever, he's putting in the work. He's out there early in the morning before everyone else. He's staying later than everyone else. He's, the conditions aren't that great. and he's, he's being faithful with it. And oftentimes I think we just, we, we lose picture, lose sight of that. We lose, we lose sight of the big dream because what happens is our life takes a detour. Or at least we think we're on a detour. Have you ever been driving, and then that road sign pops up, detour, and then you take a right and a left and a right, and you're like, all of a sudden, where am I? Am I going to get back on track? Am I going to get back to the place where I know I need to go, and all of a sudden you find yourself, wait a minute, this Detroit, this detour is kind of like Detroit, but it just <laughs> doesn't seem right. It seems like this isn't the path. Joseph knows all about it. And what I've come to realize about Joseph and about all of our lives is that when God gives us a a great dream. See, Joseph was 17 years old. He was immature. He said, hey, listen, listen, brothers, have this dream. A little bit. Imagine me, my brother's back there, Kyle. Imagine me going to Kyle and say, hey, man, I had this dream the other day, and you were bowing down before me. High five. (laughs) High five. Isn't that a good one? Oh, yeah, Dad, too. By the way, I had another dream. You were bowing down, too. You and Mom. High five. Fist bump. Not, this isn't going to go over something well, you know? And I think God had to take Joseph through this process of really bringing him low before he brought him high. Because here's the thing. If, if we get to that spot of, I don't know if exhortation is the right word, but that place, whatever you want to call it, without first having a realization of what it means to be low, we won't be able to handle it. Pride will set in. Arrogance will set in. And it won't be long until the very thing that God intended to bless us with turns into our curse and leads to our downfall. He was being brought low. See, the worst thing that could happen is for you to get exactly everything you want and not be prepared for it when God gives it to you. And here is an awful reality that we don't want to admit. The reality of we are not ready. Of understanding that God, there's all these things and all this, and God, you're going to bring us there. But there's also, God, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I can't handle that. See, I, I love my daughter, Kobe, with all of my heart. But how, and the day will come where I want her to go to college and I want to get, you know, get her a car and I want her to have all of these things. But how bad would it be if I was to give her the car keys today and... She's three years old and say, go for a drive. It ain't going to be long until she wrecks that thing. Because she's 
not ready. And we have to come to that realization of, God, maybe we are not ready. Maybe we haven't been faithful with the little things. Um, this is a quote that has stuck with me for years. God is preparing you for what he has already prepared for you. Think about that. So it's not that God's preparing the thing. It's not that the dream has to get ready for you. It's that you have to get ready for the dream. So that way, Joseph, whenever you become second in command, you don't mess up. Because the reality is there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be dependent on you. And right now, you're 17 and you think you're ready, but it's going to take 13 years until you're really ready. God isn't getting the dream ready for us. He's getting us ready for the dream. He's getting us ready for the dream. And this is completely opposite to everything that's within us as Americans that we've been taught because we like things fast. And we like things now. And we like this A, B, C, D, let's get it. And this is what I want to do. And this is how it's going to happen. And this is how it's going to work out. And boom, 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 boom. This is the way it works. And it's like a chess game. And we just do these strategic moves. And all of a sudden, we realize that we've done all of these plays. And wait a minute. Hold on. We get everything that we wanted only to realize we were chasing the wrong dream. Or only to uh, climb the ladder of success only to realize that we were on the wrong building. Or we get everything that we've pursued after and then we waste it away. Like the prodigal son. See, the thing with the prodigal son, the big problem with the prodigal son is, well, he got it way too early. Everything that he wanted from his father. God, just give me this thing. And what did he do? He went out and he just... He just blew it all. And it wasn't until he was made low. It wasn't until the day where he woke up and, wait a minute, I had all of this just maybe a few weeks or a few months ago, but now I'm eating in this pigsty. I've lost my family. I've, I've lost everything. My friends are gone. And what have I done? I got everything I wanted way too early. He was brought low. But here's the amazing thing about that story. When he came home, how the father greeted him. The Bible says that the father came running out. And he put a ring on his finger. And he said, son, welcome home. Come on. And what, you know what he was saying when he put that ring on his finger? He was saying, son, you're ready now. You can handle it now. You, you, you can handle all that I have is yours. Let's kill the fatted calf because you're ready now. You're ready now. Sometimes we have to go low before we could go high. There's these detours in our lives. But here's the worst kind of detour. There's the detour of the prison. There's the detour of the, the, the slavery. But there's another kind of de- detour that we face. And this, this, is, this, I think, could be the most destructive is the detour that we don't even know that we're on. And often that could be the detour of success. See, you, be, you begin to believe these kind of things. You begin to use 
these kinds of, of words and this kind of type of language, you begin to believe that you deserve everything that you got. Because after all, you worked hard for it. Your language goes from words like grace and mercy and thankfulness and gratitude to I deserve. Well, this is the law. Entitlement. Ordinary. Common. fact is, you just might be on a detour. Another sign of being on a detour is the loss of wonder. The loss of wonder. You begin to fail to see the beauty of creation. All you see is the rain, and you miss the rainbow. You stand in front of a beautiful piece of art, and all you see is the flaws. You go out to eat a meal with friends, but all you do is complain because something was cold. There's a loss of wonder in your life. You could be on a detour. There's also this feeling in your heart and in your life that it's never enough. Well, we made our first million. Now we've got to make the second million. Oh, you just got that new car last year, but I'm bored with it this year. Got to trade it up. Got to get a new one. You got that job that you've been seeking for, only to think, well, now I need to get this job. You got 1,000 likes on Facebook. Now you got to get 5,000 likes on Facebook. And everything in your life, well, it's never enough. You can't truly enjoy the moment. You think you deserve what you got. A loss of wonder. It's never enough. And the fourth thing is that you think the dream and the vision that God's given you is all about you. You begin to think it's all about you. The book of Genesis in in chapter 45 and verse 5, there's this moment where things have gotten bad in the land. There's a famine. And Joseph's brothers, the very ones that threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery, that told his father that he was dead, come back to him for help. And Joseph says this to them. I want you to listen to these words very carefully in chapter 45 and verse 5. His response to his brothers. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. You see, it could be that God has blessed you to be a blessing to the very ones that are against you. The very ones that are causing the pain and the hurt in your life that you're feeling right now, the very ones that threw you in that pit, the very ones that lied about you, that God is preparing you to be a blessing to them. Joseph said, you did these things. But God is preparing me to save your life. Because there's the reality that the promise and the dream that God has given you is bigger than you. And as a matter of fact, it's even bigger than Joseph. This goes back to a promise to Abraham. When God said to Abraham, look into the sky. Look at these stars. Can you count them? Your descendants are going to be like this. But what did God give him? Well, he was waiting. He was waiting. He only had a, God, I I thought we were going to have lots of kids. God gave him Isaac. 
than Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob wrestled with God. God said, your name's no longer Jacob, but we're going to call you Israel. And from you, your sons are part of this great promise. And so Jacob had these sons and these 12 sons, and one of them was Joseph. Now here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Later on, we'll read, as the children of Israel begin to grow, and the promise is really beginning to see as the numbers are increasing, Joseph doesn't have a place in the inheritance of the land, but his two sons do, Manasseh and Ephraim. See, the dream is bigger than you, Joseph. The dream is bigger than you, Abraham. The dream is bigger than Coastal Vineyard. The dream is bigger than Lucas or Kyle or Mike. We need each other. And it doesn't matter if you look around and it seems like you're so far off track. The dream is the promised land, but you found yourself in a prison. God is with you. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come.